Welcome to Murderous Mermaids with Martinis, a podcast discussing all things horror. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Angie. And uh, spoiler alert. Most of the titles we'll be discussing are relatively well known, but just in case you haven't seen any of the films or television shows that we'll be discussing, we're going to make sure we put uh, the titles in all of our episodes so that you have been forewarned. You have been forewarned. <laughs> so we just finished watching a 2016 film called The Windmill. And I don't know, what did you think of this one? I thought it was fairly well done. There were some open-ended questions and... Um, it's also called the Windmill Massacre in some countries. It was released under that different name. Yeah, I kind of like Windmill Massacre better. Yeah. I think, I think I would have watched it sooner if I had seen that title in my Netflix queue and not just the Windmill. Um, so since this one, I, I think it's fair to say this one's a little bit more obscure than some of the other titles we've talked about in past episodes. Uh, so I guess just a real quick... Uh, recap basically a bunch of tourists go to Amsterdam and get on the windmill tour bus to hell it's called happy tours happy holland tours happy holland tours yes yes because this is not hell because it's not holland (laughs) yes That's a paraphrase of the actual tagline on the movie poster we found online after watching this film. So anyway, the tourists get on the Happy Holland tour bus, and uh, basically it turns into a slasher film. So instead of it being a scary cabin in the woods, it's a scary windmill in the woods, and there's a high body count. There is a high body count, and um, it also alludes there could be a part two. The body count may be... Continuing. Yes. Um, so one of the interesting things is the body count starts before the film starts. As we find out, um, people on this tour are all considered sinners. And when they get ready to get on the bus, the uh, bus driver says, oh, there's room for one more sinner when the main girl gets on. So it you know, immediately sets that up. But uh, the girl had killed her father and she hallucinates and sees her father and um the soldier had apparently killed a girl in a brothel the night before so before this even starts the uh the body count had started yeah and i mean i guess the the character jennifer um who is the actress that was on a show called Broadchurch. Did you ever see Broadchurch? I did not see it. Uh, she was like the, I guess, the main teenage daughter on that show. It's like a murder mystery suspense kind of thing. Anyway, like I thought the movie positioned her as the protagonist because it's sort of her point of view that we get from the start. And I really thought she was going to be the final girl. I know. It, I, I it was so too. close. I'm like, oh, like she's she's bested crazy demon windmill caretaker because that's part of why it's a creepy haunted windmill there is a centuries old windmill uh operator uh i guess miller is the proper occupational title for him uh who uh apparently may have 
been guilty of witchcraft and making a deal with the devil. Both, yes. Both. Both. Well, because to practice witchcraft, presumably one has to sign in the devil's book, so I guess it's part and parcel. (laughs) It was very clear that we understood that. Uh, So this hundreds-year-old demon windmill keeper, it seems like she's, she's bested him, but no. No. Hooked to the face. Yes. Uh, so we don't really know if there are any survivors at all. There's a little bit of ambiguity uh, with one of the potential survivors. So I was a little surprised we didn't have at least one obvious survivor in this. Like I know having a surviving person, usually singular, is a little bit cliched now, but I also wasn't prepared for everyone to just get it. Yeah, well, the bus driver is some sort of immortal, as we found. He can have his neck cut, artery spurting, and apparently there's magical flower in this mill. Maybe it's pixie dust. <laughs> Maybe, but um, he puts it on his neck, and somehow he's healed and survived to continue to drive the Happy Holland bus tours <laughs> and continue to bring sinners to this windmill, which has been burnt to the ground but somehow resurrected in the end. Because that's on a gateway to hell, so uh, I guess it's just going to keep well, sprouting up. It's like a mushroom after a rainstorm. And according to the map, it shouldn't even be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, um, it's a little bit of a fantasy, fairy tale type feel in some ways. And with the hallucinations and not really knowing what's real or what's not real. But all of the um, characters in this all have some sort of, if you want to call it a fatal flaw. Not only are they sinners, but they have some sort of character most trait. Of them are, yeah, most of them are murderers. Most of them are murderers, um, racist, assholes. Sometimes a combination of both, Com- racist, <laughs> murderers, asshole combos. <laughs> yeah, except for, so the girl, uh, Jennifer, she is a murderer, but it's, one, it was an accidental murder for her brother um, because she was trying to kill her father, which... Was not accidental. Was not accidental, but they uh, portray it as maybe justified. Yes. Yeah. They make it very clear that he's an abusive father, apparently terribly abusive, and they almost position it as an act of self-defense, that she is... um, committing and she wants to save the brother and it's just uh bad timing that the brother ends up burning to death with the father as well definite bad timing bad bad timing (laughs) is like the understatement of the year for her so what i thought was interesting with this one is i guess unlike something like what this reminded me a lot of structurally in some ways was the original friday the 13th Mm. Um, just because like the the lo- the remote countryside location, and uh, some of the camera shots for like the point of view of the killer, mm-hmm. and how how he's stalking, or she in the original uh, Friday the Thirteenth is is stalking the, I guess the young people in this case the sinners for the the windmill, um, and so what I thought was interesting was with this one. Instead of it just being uh, maybe indulgent teenagers that are somehow being 
punished for like partying and premarital sex, the the usual cliche for thinking about slasher films. In this one, it's almost like a PTSD trigger um is part of it uh to give like more complicated backstory and so that they are there's this extra layer of cruelty where they're forced to hallucinate this i guess terrible decision that they've all made at some point in their life that they felt bad about Mm -hmm. usually killing some other human being um be it intentional or premeditated like they're all forced to confront that in some way and so the reason I thought Jennifer was going to survive is because it was very clear that the remorse she felt over her younger brother burning to death, she had a chance to like replay that with uh, saving the little boy who's the hemophiliac, um, Kurt, because he is positioned as defenseless. He seems younger than his actual age because of his um, medical condition, and he's stuck in the burning windmill. and. Instead of being scared, she runs in to save him, pulls him to safety, and then she's not rewarded, even though she's expressed remorse. Yeah, so the, the they set up the world to be that you have to be actually remorseful, and I believe the um, the Japanese actor who the character name escapes me now. Takashi. Takashi, he says, you have to feel like you deserved punishment and that's how you Mm. get out of being killed so to speak if you're truly remorseful and feel like you deserve punishment you're not punished ironically so oh that's a good point because when she has her I guess face-to-face confrontation Jennifer with windmill demon man she doesn't she does she feels remorseful of the brother's death but she's she's I guess reminded that she quote-unquote made the right decision with killing the father and it parallels her attempt to kill the windmill demon so I guess she's not remorseful in the sense that Takashi explained she needed to express Mm -hmm. that was a good catch yeah and none of the other characters express remorse they're like yeah like uh the uh Douglas the uh our our I guess father of the year father the biggest villain of all (laughs) maybe even more so than the demonic windmill keeper (laughs) he um he oh my goodness (laughs) where to start with him (laughs) he is um he's a hated character um (laughs) he killed his wife because he couldn't stand Fucking hysterical women. Yes, the direct quote, I guess, which he uses to justify complaining about the other women on the tour bus and in turn justifying why he viciously strangled his wife and kidnapped his son uh, is that he was fucking sick of hysterical women after being married to one for 15 years. Yes, and um, I was... He says it so happily, too. (laughs) I was was not necessarily sad when he died. Um, (laughs) I was sad that his son had to watch it. That was sad. Yes, that that was sad. What I thought was interesting, so the the demon windmill keeper person, uh, whose name may or may not be Hendrix, 
I don't know. I feel like the bus driver is not a reliable source when we realize he's not really what he appears to be. So who knows what the background he gave is like valid for the world of the story. Um, the Anyway, the demon guy, he has he carries what looks like a sickle, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess is a sign of harvest, but also associated with sort of like medieval European um, visual representations of death and the personifications of death as carrying like the sickle. And so most of the victims are killed with the sickle-like uh, tool, but not Douglas, are um, very much so highlighted uh, villainous personality he gets decapitated with a rope. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like his death being different than the others matters. Yeah, I... Um, you know, the the nursery rhyme we learned about, you know, Mama has had a baby and its head popped off, immediately came to mind because it literally popped off in this Yes, film. his head doesn't roll. It definitely pops. Um, and... I also felt like it was a nice sort of visual parallel with the way he killed his wife because he strangled her and he's in effect strangled to the extreme Mm -hmm. with the rope around his neck Mm -hmm. except for it pops off before I guess full strangulation is the cause of death. Mm -hmm. And um, just thinking about the killings, the, uh, the demonic killer which I think we're supposed to believe is um, an agent of the devil, according to his contract, is uh, harvesting sinners to keep the windmill running. And now he has another employee, the bus driver, Abe, like his little um, minion, who's bringing these (laughs) sinners to him. But inadvertently, their innocence that he brings along. So his responsibility is to clear out these innocents. So Abe, the bus driver, has to kill the innocent people, like Takashi and Kurt, the the young boy, where the demon gets to kill all the sinners. And so I thought that was interesting that he has hired a minion to, to do this dirty work like like as a demon he's above killing innocent people he can only kill sinners or if he kills the sinners that's the way the mill keeps running and killing the innocents might set that off in some way i feel like the the movie's mythology behind the demon uh miller uh and his bus driver assistant and how many centuries old or not this demon was was very quickly given to us. It's only a 90-minute movie, which I think is the perfect length for this type of slasher film. But it also meant the the mythology behind it was murky at best because it's not what we're used to seeing, at least in U.S. American films, for this genre. So I, I was kind of grappling at times with, like, wait, <laughs> what's going on here with the... <laughs> So, is it witchcraft? Is it... Yeah, now he's just a minion of the devil. And it's hell on earth. No, it's Holland. (laughs) (laughs) All of the characters seem to be um, suffering from some sort of uh, mental condition as well. So there's a lot of... um, Like the doctor has some kind of uh, psychotic break at some point when he's in the 
art room mm-hmm. um, in the museum observing art. He has that kind of a mental break and he's also using cocaine um, to feel better about this psychotic break, which he's makes... clearly self-medicating. It's Amsterdam. <laughs> I'm assuming it's legal. <laughs> he does it right outside the museum, so I'm sure it's fine. Um, and then Jennifer has some sort of um, psychotic break. We can tell um, they visually show her like freaking out when she sees the the gears turning or when she sees um, her hallucinations. And she's also medicated with some sort of um, antipsychotic pill. Um, the hemophiliac is supposed to be taking medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but he forgot it. But he forgot it. Um, so he probably bleeds to death. We don't know. That's... Never, never comes to fruition. But all of them seem to have some sort of uh, mental condition that they're treating with some sort of medication. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that that is supposed to mean or what that statement is about in this film. It just seems very prominent. I wonder if part of it is how the people on the bus are referred to as sinners. And so are they supposed to be associated with sort of this, the sins of like the modern metropolitan world? Because Abe, the bus driver from hell, literally, <laughs> um, makes a statement early in the film when they all board the bus that they're leaving behind this... Uh, he says something derogatory about Amsterdam as a city and like going going to like the... The, the better side of Holland or whatever to see the windmills, mm-hmm. which frankly they so they they stop at one windmill before they go to like the windmill of the title, and it seems like it's a really boring tour, <laughs> like like the technicalities of and then the gears move in this way and like no one looks thrilled. No, it, nobody on the bus seems like they want or have any interest in seeing windmills. Yes. Why are they on the bus? <laughs> okay, well, we know why a couple of them are on the bus because they're trying to outrun the police. But the rest of them, it's unclear why they're there. Uh, presumably they've paid money for a ticket of some sort. Yeah. I, um, so in this, changing the subject a little bit, but in this, the demon... Uh, basically hangs up his uh, victims, his center victims, like a slaughterhouse style. Yeah. And lets the blood drip into the gears and the windmilling and to get the the blades spinning again. Because when they first arrive, they're not spinning. It's been a lack of centers, apparently. Um, But uh, (laughs) he gets it going again. Um, But I thought it was really interesting how they had the hemophiliac bleeding the whole time. And his blood was... It was. I couldn't tell what they were trying to emphasize with this, but his blood was from his hand was dripping on the floor, and they took a a really long look at that, where we saw the blood drip yeah. and pooling on the floor of the innocent, and I don't know. And then we saw that paralleled with the sinners. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure. Like, is that like a good versus evil symbol and. Uh, seeing that there was much more blood of sinners than there was of innocence, mm-hmm. showing maybe foreshadowing that evil was going to win in this case. I was kind of curious as to why they took the time to really focus on that. Oh, I just thought they were like, making it clear that his blood really wasn't clotting. 
and they were stuck in this remote area, so he's probably not going to survive. He's been bleeding out for how many hours by the time of the, I guess, the final windmill showdown. Um, but they do, I, I do feel like the the killing scenes, I guess, are relatively gory. Mm-hmm. Uh, with like intestines being ripped out, heads rolling, them being squashed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the Kurt, the, the young boy's blood is more like bright compared to the darker, gory, mixed in with dirt blood we see from everyone else. So maybe there is something there. They're, they are being contrasted in some way. Yeah. I maybe just think overthink things too much too. That could also <laughs> be the case. <laughs> um, I was looking to see if this. They didn't necessarily call it an urban legend, but they called it a legend that was well known in northern Europe. And so I did a little quick Google search because you know Google knows everything, and I couldn't find any type of even similar storyline as far as legends go or folklore and so I found it interesting that they were they basically just made this up out of thin air it feels like and rather than basing it even loosely on an existing legend well I think why the movie felt a little maybe more fresh in approach to me um and I don't know enough about Dutch folklore um to know if there are any stories like that. But it did make me think of, I guess, uh, creepy or scary windmill scenes from other films, um, mostly Frankenstein and uh, the parody Frankenweenie, <laughs> where, <laughs> where the, I guess the iconic scene at the end is the showdown at the windmill with the angry mob and it's set on fire. And that's a kind of... I think fire windmill scene, they're always deteriorated when we see windmills, it seems like, uh, in horror films or scary moments. I guess it means that they're more apt to catch fire uh, because they are sort of decrepit. Um, but those those have a sense of sort of closure and finality to them. So here we have in the movie The Windmill from 2016, a windmill that burns down to the ground only to reemerge again. Uh, so that's a little different, and um, I know we also watched uh, the 1937 Disney Silly Symphony called The Old Mill, which is a very cutesy look at how a mill might be scary and then restored to being a happy, cheerful place with like, little bluebirds and bats. <laughs> and lovebirds. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so the windmill as a symbol of uh, almost a cabin in the wood type feel definitely explains this uh, the visuals of this mm-hmm. um, I think it was kind of interesting the way that they in some way tried to incorporate eastern religion in this with the the fire and the vision and the chanting that Takashi did. What are your thoughts on trying to incorporate that? Why, why do you think that was done or what would, would be the significance of that? It felt almost like stereotype and uh, how it played out. Like I think one of the interesting things about the movie is that they're trying to highlight that the tourists on this bus come from 
all parts of the globe. It's a very international, I think, look. Um, and I think it's also important for the logic of the plot to work, that these be tourists that wouldn't necessarily be missed. Uh, so I guess they can be the constant supply for the sinners that the windmill needs to run because they're not going to be reported missing in the same way that the local population would be. Um, so I understood some of what they were doing there with that, and I thought that was kind of clever. Um, but I don't know, I felt like the notable contrast between uh, Takashi and all the other characters who are international, um, not all of them native English speakers, but everyone else speaks English mm-hmm. throughout the film but him. Uh, so it makes him a bit of an outlier in that regard. And I mean, the the your favorite character of the movie, Douglas, uh, refers to him as a babbling mystic in a derogatory way. Um, And I think as viewers, we're supposed to see that as like, wow, that was kind of a racist thing to say, but it's in line with how we see that character. But then the movie does kind of like type him as being a mystic. He's the only one that recognizes the truth of what's going on and tries to be the, um, the person that explains to everyone even though it doesn't seem rational, what's really going on here? Here's what we mm-hmm. need to do. This is how we survive. And no one really takes anything he says seriously or wants to believe him. Um, yeah. And the movie seems to imply that he's absolutely right. I think Jennifer believes him, but for whatever reason, she can't uh, finally agree to admit that she should feel remorse for killing her father. And so that's why she she fails in that regard. Um, I also feel like of the other murderers on the bus, he's not maybe a murderer in the way that they are because it seems to imply that he feels remorse and maybe guilt over not taking care of his grandmother, but doesn't seem like he he murdered her. Right. It sounds like more like he stopped visiting her or maybe wasn't as actively involved with her care. Um, whereas the other people, like, they were actively involved in killing people because we see those flashbacks. We don't see that with him. I guess the other, other character that, that maybe it's a little bit more of a gray area is the, the doctor whose name I don't remember, but he was the guy that was the tour bus manager and almost famous. (laughs) (laughs) I realized that halfway through, I was like, I've seen him before in something, uh, Presumably, he feels guilty over a patient that died, but it seems like a very different scenario where maybe he felt like the patient didn't deserve his help. I think that he was being defensive because he was high or yeah. and or drunk during the surgery. Yeah. So, but he said, you know, it's not my fault. I was I was exonerated. I was you know considered innocent, mm-hmm. but he clearly has some sort of uh, guilt, some leftover guilt where he knows deep down inside this was his fault, but he never says sorry. It's like because everyone else had seen him as innocent, it didn't matter anymore. He was exonerated by his peers, so whatever guilt he felt, he didn't he didn't feel like he needed to be sorry for. Yeah, I, I guess that part of how the, the plot worked just made me think of the Salem witch trials as the historical documents. Whereas if you were accused of being a witch in Salem and um, pled guilty, 
then you survived. If you pled not guilty and then were found guilty, then you had a death sentence. But like the like Tichaba, who is one of the first accused, goes along with it and says, "Yeah, sure." Um, I'll you know I'll 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 agree that I'm accused of witchcraft and it's true. She survives, so it kind of feels like the same thing here. Like if you've been accused of being a sinner because you're on a sinner bus, just embrace it and atone for it in some way instead of trying to say no no no, but like it was justified or no I'm not really bad. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because then Abe clears out the innocence. So either you acknowledge you're a sinner and show remorse and are killed oh, by A. I didn't think about that. Or you... There's no winning in this system. <laughs> you don't have remorse and the demon kills you. <laughs> I mean, maybe if Abe kills you, you don't go to hell. If a demon kills you, you do go to hell. We don't really know about the afterlife in this world. And we don't know how Abe kills the innocents, so we don't know if it's more or less torturous than the 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 accused. <laughs> Yeah, and so there was one comment that Abe said to Jennifer. He said, you belong to the master now. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't, no one else gets that. Like, she is almost like the bride of Frankenstein kind of feel like you belong <laughs> to him. He, he, you're now his. Um, and so I fully expected them to be kind of standing together at the end. And the reason I thought that was because um, her profession of hate in her heart. So when she's talking mm-hmm. about her her dad and she's having this flashback and she's um, envisioning herself beating him to death with it, some kind of human bone <laughs> as a hallucination, she's basically screaming, you know, I hated you, I hate you. I, and mm-hmm. she has this... Rage and hatred in her heart that she's not able to let go of, which makes me think that's why she belongs to the devil or her master. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in in that sense, I kind of expected her and him to be one at the end. Yeah, I think that's a fair question because she's one of the ones killed by the uh, the demon Miller that we don't see one killed in quite the same way um, and not strung up. So I know like Douglas is killed differently, but he's strung up the same as everyone else. We don't see her strung up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I guess like, what is that thing? Like, it's a piece of metal that's thrown at her. It looks like a meat hook. A meat hook, yeah. It digs right into her skull. It's mm-hmm. pretty grisly. Like a fish hook. Yeah. Only but for meat. Maybe he knew what she did last summer. Maybe. He clearly does. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I just thought it was interesting. And maybe if there were to be a sequel, she will be the new Demon Mill person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the Bride of Frankenstein comparison. Thanks. <laughs> I kind of hope there is a sequel to this one because... Inquiring minds want to know, did Kurt survive? And if he didn't, how did he die? Yeah. And if he did, you know, what became of him? Because his mother is dead, his dad is dead, and he's a hemophiliac with no medication. (laughs) Wandering through the woods, bleeding. Yeah. His odds don't look very good. No. 
and he's witnessed a lot of death. So he's probably got the the PTSD that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he doesn't make it, perhaps if there's a sequel, like his innocent ghost can also haunt part of this area. He's like a guardian. Yes. <laughs> But overall, I was pleasantly surprised um, by this one. I went in with low expectations, um, but it was entertaining. And I, I think it like hit all the right narrative beats and was timed well. I agree. I, I enjoyed it overall. I had the anticipation of it being so bad that it would be good, but it wasn't horrible. It wasn't even really too campy. It no. Was, it was more of a... Uh, like a fairy tale type horror. I liked it. Yeah, I agree. We'd recommend it. Recommend. Thanks for listening and join us next week for another horror discussion. And another martini. Sounds good. <laughs>